Section 10 of State of the Union Addresses, 1869-1876. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. State of the Union Address, Ulysses S. Grant, December 7, 1875, Part 1. To the Senate and House of Representatives, in submitting my seventh annual message to Congress, in this centennial year of our national existence as a free and independent people, it affords me great pleasure to recur to the advancement that has been made from the time of the colonies one hundred years ago. We were then a people numbering only three million. Now we number more than forty million. Then industries were confined almost exclusively to the tillage of the soil. Now manufactories absorb much of the labor of the country. Our liberties remain unimpaired. The bondmen have been freed from slavery. We have become possessed of the respect, if not the friendship, of all civilized nations. Our progress has been great in all the arts, in science, agriculture, commerce, navigation, mining, mechanics, law, medicine, etc., and in general education. The progress is likewise encouraging. Our thirteen states have become thirty-eight, including Colorado, which has taken the initiatory steps to become a state and eight territories, including the Indian Territory and Alaska, and excluding Colorado, making a territory extending from the Atlantic to the Pacific. On the south we have extended to the Gulf of Mexico, and in the west from the Mississippi to the Pacific. One hundred years ago, the cotton gin, the steamship, the railroad, the telegraph, the reaping, sewing, and modern printing machines, and numerous other inventions of scarcely less value to our business and happiness were entirely unknown. In 1776, manufactories scarcely existed even in name in all this vast territory. In 1870, more than two million persons were employed in manufactories producing more than $2,100,000,000 of products in amount annually, nearly equal to our national debt. From nearly the whole of the population of 1776, being engaged in the one occupation of agriculture, in 1870 so numerous and diversified had become the occupation of our people that less than six million out of more than forty million were so engaged. The extraordinary effort produced in our country by a resort to diversified occupations has built a market for the products of fertile lands distant from the seaboard and the markets of the world. The American system of locating various and extensive manufactories next to the plow and the pasture and adding connecting railroads and steamboats, has produced in our distant interior country a result noticeable by the intelligent portions of all commercial nations. The ingenuity and skill of American mechanics have been demonstrated at home and abroad in a manner most flattering to their pride. But for the extraordinary genius and ability of our mechanics, the achievements of our agriculturalists, manufacturers, and transporters throughout the country would have been impossible of attainment. The progress of the miner has also been great. Of coal, our production has small. Now many millions of tons are mined annually. So with iron which formed scarcely an appreciable part of our products half a century ago. We now produce more than the world consumed at the beginning of our national existence. Lead, zinc, and copper, from being articles of import, 
we may expect to be large exporters in the near future. The development of gold and silver mines in the United States and territories has not only been remarkable, but has had a large influence upon the business of all commercial nations. Our merchants in the last hundred years have had a success and have established a reputation for enterprise, sagacity, progress, and integrity unsurpassed by peoples of older nationalities. This good name is not confined to their homes, but goes out upon every sea and into every port where commerce enters. With equal pride we can point to our progress in all of the learned professions. As we are now about to enter upon our second centennial, commenting our manhood as a nation, it is well to look back upon the past and study what will be best to preserve and advance our future greatness. From the fall of Adam for his transgression to the present day, no nation has ever been free from threatened danger to its prosperity and happiness. We should look to the dangers threatening us and remedy them so far as lies in our power. We are a republic whereof one man is as good as another before the law. Under such form of government, it is of the greatest importance that all should be possessed of education and intelligence enough to cast a vote with a right understanding of its meaning. A large association of ignorant men cannot for any considerable period oppose a successful resistance to tyranny and oppression from the educated few, but will inevitably sink into acquiescence to the will of intelligence, whether directed by the demagogue or by priestcraft. Hence the education of the masses becomes of the first necessity for the preservation of our institutions. They are worth preserving, because they have secured the greatest good to the greatest proportion of the population of any form of government yet devised. All other forms of government approach it just in proportion to the general diffusion of education and independence of thought and action. As the primary step, therefore, to our advancement in all that has marked our progress in the past century, I suggest for your earnest consideration, and most earnestly recommend it, that a constitutional amendment be submitted to the legislatures of the several states for ratification, making it the duty of each of the several states to establish and forever maintain free public schools, adequate to the education of all the children in the rudimentary branches within their respective limits, irrespective of sex, color, birthplace, or religions, forbidding the teaching in said schools of religious, atheistic, or pagan tenets, and prohibiting the granting of any school funds or school taxes or any part thereof either by legislative, municipal, or other authority for the benefit or in aid, directly or indirectly, of any religious sect or denomination or in aid or for the benefit of any other object of any nature or kind whatever. In connection with this important question, I would also call your attention to the importance of correcting an evil that, if permitted to continue, will probably lead to great trouble in our land before the close of the 19th century. It is the accumulation of vast amounts of untaxed church property. In 1850, I believe, the church property of the United States, which paid no tax, municipal or state, amounted to about $83,000,000. In 1860, the amount had doubled. In 1875, it is about $1,000,000,000. By 1900, without check, it is safe to say this property will reach a sum 
exceeding three billion dollars so vast a sum receiving all the protection and benefits of government without bearing its proportion of the burdens and expenses of the same will not be looked upon acquiescently by those who have to pay the taxes in a growing country where real estate enhances so rapidly with time as in the united states there is scarcely a limit to the wealth that may be acquired by corporations religious or otherwise if allowed to retain real estate without taxation the contemplation of so vast a property as here alluded to without taxation may lead to sequestration without constitutional authority and through blood i would suggest the taxation of all property equally whether church or corporation exempting only the last resting place of the dead and possibly with proper restrictions church edifices our relations with most of the foreign powers continue on a satisfactory and friendly footing increased intercourse the extension of commerce and the cultivation of mutual interests have steadily improved our relations with the large majority of the powers of the world rendering practicable the peaceful solution of questions which from time to time necessarily arise leaving few which demand extended or particular notice the correspondence of the department of state with our diplomatic representatives abroad is transmitted herewith i am happy to announce the passage of an act by the general cortes of portugal proclaimed since the adjournment of congress for the abolition of servitude in the portuguese colonies it is to be hoped that such legislation may be another step toward the great consummation to be reached when no man shall be permitted directly or indirectly under any guise excuse or form of law to hold his fellow-man in bondage i am of opinion also that it is the duty of the united states as contributing toward that end and required by the spirit of the age in which we live to provide by suitable legislation that no citizen of the united states shall hold slaves as property in any other country or be interested therein chile has made reparation in the case of the whale-ship good return seized without sufficient cause upward of forty years ago though she had hitherto denied her accountability the denial was never acquiesced in by this government and the justice of the claim has been so earnestly contended for that it has been gratifying that she should have at last acknowledged it the arbitrator in the case of the United States steamer Montijo, for the seizure and detention of which the government of the United States of Colombia was held accountable, has decided in favor of the claim. This decision has settled a question which had been pending for several years, and which, while it continued open, might more or less disturb the good understanding which it is desirable should be maintained between the two republics a reciprocity treaty with the king of the hawaiian islands was concluded some months since as it contains a stipulation that it shall not take effect until congress shall enact the proper legislation for that purpose copies of the instrument are herewith submitted in order that if such should be the pleasure of congress the necessary legislation upon the subject may be adopted in march last an arrangement was made through mr cushing our minister in madrid with the spanish government for the payment by the latter to the united states of the sum of eighty thousand dollars in coin for the purpose of the relief of the families or persons of the ship's company and certain passengers of the virginius this sum was to have been paid in three installments at two months each it is due to the spanish government 
that i should state that the payments were fully and spontaneously anticipated by that government and that the whole amount was paid within but a few days more than two months from the date of the agreement a copy of which is herewith transmitted in pursuance of the terms of the adjustment i have directed the distribution of the amount among the parties entitled thereto including the ship's company and such of the passengers as were american citizens payments are made accordingly on the application by the parties entitled thereto the past year has furnished no evidence of an approaching termination of the ruinous conflict which has been raging for seven years in the neighboring island of cuba the same disregard of the laws of civilized warfare and of the just demands of humanity which has heretofore called forth expressions of condemnation from the nations of christendom has continued to blacken the sad scene desolation ruin and pillage are pervading the rich fields of one of the most fertile and productive regions of the earth and the incendiary's torch firing plantations and valuable factories and buildings is the agent marking the alternate advance or retreat of contending parties the protracted continuance of this strife seriously affects the interests of all commercial nations but those of the united states more than others by reason of close proximity its larger trade and intercourse with cuba and the frequent and intimate personal and social relations which have grown up between its citizens and those of the island moreover the property of our citizens in cuba is large and is rendered insecure and depreciated in value and incapacity of production by the continuance of the strife and the unnatural mode of its conduct the same is true differing only in degree with respect to the interests and people of other nations and the absence of any reasonable assurance of a near termination of the conflict must of necessity soon compel the states thus suffering to consider what the interests of their own people and their duty toward themselves may demand i have hoped that spain would be enabled to establish peace in her colony to afford security to the property and the interests of our citizens and allow legitimate scope to trade and commerce and the natural productions of the island because of this hope and from an extreme reluctance to interfere in the most remote manner in the affairs of another and a friendly nation especially of one whose sympathy and friendship in the struggling infancy of our own existence must ever be remembered with gratitude i have patiently and anxiously waited the progress of events our own civil conflict is too recent for us not to consider the difficulties which surround a government distracted by a dynastic rebellion at home at the same time that it has to cope with a separate insurrection in a distant colony but whatever causes may have produced the situation which so grievously affects our interests it exists with all its attendant evils operating directly upon the country and its people thus far all the efforts of spain have proved abortive and time has marked no improvement in the situation the armed bands of either side now occupy nearly the same ground as in the past with the difference from time to time of more lives sacrificed more property destroyed and wider extents of fertile and productive fields and more and more of valuable property constantly wantonly sacrificed to the incendiary's torch in contests of this nature where a considerable body of people who have attempted to free themselves of the control of the superior government have reached such a point in occupation of territory in power and in general organization as to constitute in fact a body politic having a government in substance as well as in name 
possessed of the elements of stability and equipped with the machinery for the administration of internal policy and the execution of its laws, prepared and able to administer justice at home as well as in its dealings with other powers, it is within the province of those other powers to recognize its existence as a new and independent nation. In such cases, other nations simply deal with an actually existing condition of things, and recognize as one of the powers of the earth the body politic which, possessing the necessary elements, has in fact become a new power. In a word, the creation of a new state is a fact. To establish the conditions of things, essential to the recognition of this fact, there must be a people occupying a known territory, united under some known and defined form of government, acknowledged by those subject thereto, in which the functions of government are administered by usual methods, competent to mete out justice to citizens and strangers, to afford remedies for public and for private wrongs, and able to assume the correlative international obligations and capable of performing the corresponding international duties resulting from its acquisition of the rights of sovereignty. A power should exist, complete in its organization, ready to take and able to maintain its place among the nations of the earth. While conscious that the insurrection in Cuba has shown a strength and endurance which make it at least doubtful whether it be in the power of Spain to subdue it, it seems unquestionable that no such civil organization exists which may be recognized as an independent government capable of performing its international obligations and entitled to be treated as one of the powers of the earth. A recognition under such circumstances would be inconsistent with the facts and would compel the power granting it soon to support by force the government to which it had really given its only claim of existence. In my judgment, the United States should adhere to the policy and the principles which have heretofore been its sure and safe guides in like contests between revolted colonies and their mother country, and, acting only upon the clearest evidence, should avoid any possibility of suspicion or of imputation. A recognition of the independence of Cuba, being, in my opinion, impracticable and indefensible, the question which next presents itself is that of the recognition of belligerent rights in the parties to the contest. In a former message to Congress, I had occasion to consider this question and reached the conclusion that the conflict in Cuba, dreadful and devastating as were its incidents, did not rise to the fearful dignity of war. Regarding it now, after this lapse of time, I am unable to see that any notable success or any marked or real advance on the part of the insurgents has essentially changed the character of the contest. It has acquired greater age, but not greater or more formidable proportions. It is possible that the acts of foreign powers, and even acts of Spain herself, of this very nature, might be pointed to in defense of such recognition. But now, as in its past history, the United States should carefully avoid the false lights which might lead it into the mazes of doubtful law and of questionable propriety, and adhere rigidly and sternly to the rule which has been its guide of doing only that which is right and honest and of good report. The question of according or of withholding rights of belligerency must be judged in every case in view of the particular attending facts. Unless justified by necessity, it is always and justly regarded as an unfriendly act and a gratuitous demonstration of moral support to the rebellion. It is necessary, and it is required, when the interests and rights of another government or of its people are so far affected by a pending civil conflict 
as to require a definition of its relations to the parties thereto. But this conflict must be one which will be recognized in the sense of international law as war. Belligerence, too, is a fact. The mere existence of contending armed bodies and their occasional conflicts do not constitute war in the sense referred to. Applying to the existing condition of affairs in Cuba, the tests recognized by publicists and writers on international law, and which have been observed by nations of dignity, honesty, and power, when free from sensitive or selfish and unworthy motives, I fail to find in the insurrection the existence of such a substantial political organization, real, palpable, and manifest to the world, having the forms and capable of the ordinary functions of government toward its own people and to other states, with courts for the administration of justice, with a local habitation, possessing such organization of force, such material, such occupation of territory, as to take the contest out of the category of a mere rebellious insurrection or occasional skirmishes, and place it on the terrible footing of war to which a recognition of belligerency would aim to elevate it. The contest, moreover, is solely on land. The insurrection has not possessed itself of a single seaport whence it may send forth its flag, nor has it any means of communication with foreign powers except through the military lines of its adversaries. No apprehension of any of these sudden and difficult complications which a war upon the ocean is apt to precipitate upon the vessels, both commercial and national, and open to the consular offices of other powers, calls for the definition of their relations to the parties to the contest. Considered as a question of expediency, I regard the accordance of belligerent rights still to be as unwise and premature as I regard it to be, at present, indefensible as a measure of right. Such recognition entails upon the country, according the rights which flow from it, difficult and complicated duties, and requires the exaction from the contending parties of the strict observance of their rights and obligations it confers the right of search upon the high seas by vessels of both parties. It would subject the carrying of arms and munitions of war, which now may be transported freely and without interruption in the vessels of the United States, to detention and to possible seizure. It would give rise to countless vexatious questions, would release the parent government from responsibility for acts done by the insurgents, and would invest Spain with the right to exercise the supervision recognized by our treaty of 1795 over our commerce on the high seas, a very large part of which, in its traffic between the Atlantic and the Gulf states, and between all of them and the states on the Pacific, passes through the waters which wash the shores of Cuba. The exercise of this supervision could scarce fail to lead, if not to abuses, certainly to collisions perilous to the peaceful relations of the two states. There can be little doubt to what result such supervision would before long draw this nation. It would be unworthy of the United States to inaugurate the possibilities of such result by measures of questionable right or expediency or by any indirection. Apart from any question of theoretical right, I am satisfied that while the accordance of belligerent rights to the insurgents in Cuba might give them a hope and an inducement to protract the struggle, it would be but a delusive hope and would not remove the evils which this government and its people are experiencing, but would draw the United States into complications which it has waited long and already suffered much to avoid. The recognition of independence or of belligerency being thus, in my judgment, equally inadmissible, it remains to consider what course shall be adopted should the conflict 
not soon be brought to an end by acts of the parties themselves and should the evils which result therefrom affecting all nations and particularly the united states continue in such event i am of the opinion that other nations will be compelled to assume the responsibility which devolves upon them and to seriously consider the only remaining measures possible mediation and intervention owing perhaps to the large expanse of water separating the island from the peninsula the want of harmony and of personal sympathy between the inhabitants of the colony and those sent thither to rule them and want of adaptation of the ancient colonial system of europe to the present times and to the ideas which the event of the past century have developed the contending parties appear to have within themselves no depository of common confidence to suggest wisdom when passion and excitement have their sway and to assume the part of peacemaker in this view in the earlier days of the contest the good offices of the united states as a mediator were tendered in good faith without any selfish purpose in the interest of humanity and in sincere friendship for both parties but were at the time declined by spain with the declaration nevertheless that at a future time they would be indispensable no intimation has been received that in the opinion of spain that time has been reached and yet the strife continues with all its dread horrors and all its injuries to the interests of the united states and of other nations each party seems quite capable of working great injury and damage to the other as well as to all the relations and interests dependent on the existence of peace in the island but they seem incapable of reaching any adjustment and both have thus far failed of achieving any success whereby one party shall possess and control the island to the exclusion of the other under these circumstances the agency of others either by mediation or by intervention seems to be the only alternative which must sooner or later be invoked for the termination of the strife at the same time while thus impressed i do not at this time recommend the adoption of any measure of intervention i shall be ready at all times and as the equal friend of both parties to respond to a suggestion that the good offices of the united states will be acceptable to aid in bringing about a peace honorable to both it is due to spain so far as this government is concerned that the agency of a third power to which i have adverted shall be adopted only as a last expedient had it been the desire of the united states to interfere in the affairs of cuba repeated opportunities for doing so have been presented within the last few years but we have remained passive and have performed our whole duty and all international obligations to spain with friendship fairness and fidelity and with a spirit of patience and forbearance which negatives every possible suggestion of desire to interfere or to add to the difficulties with which she has been surrounded the government of spain has recently submitted to our minister at madrid certain proposals which it is hoped may be found to be the basis if not the actual submission of terms to meet the requirements of the particular griefs of which this government has felt itself entitled to complain these proposals have not yet reached me in their full text on their arrival they will be taken into careful examination and may i hope lead to a satisfactory adjustment of the questions to which they refer and remove the possibility of future occurrences such as have given rise to our just complaints it is understood also that renewed efforts are being made to introduce reforms in the internal administration of the island persuaded however that a proper regard for the interests of the united states and of its citizens 
entitles it to relief from the strain to which it has been subjected by the difficulties of the questions and the wrongs and losses which arise from the contest in cuba and that the interests of humanity itself demand the cessation of the strife before the whole island shall be laid waste and larger sacrifices of life be made i shall feel it my duty should my hopes of a satisfactory adjustment and of the early restoration of peace and the removal of future causes of complaint be unhappily disappointed to make a further communication to congress at some period not far remote and during the present session recommending what may then seem to me to be necessary the free zone so called several years since established by the mexican government in certain states of that republic adjacent to our frontier remains in full operation it has always been materially injurious to honest traffic for it operates as an incentive to traders in mexico to supply without customs charges the wants of inhabitants on this side of the line and prevents the same wants from being supplied by merchants of the united states thereby to a considerable extent defrauding our revenue and checking honest commercial enterprise depredations by armed bands from mexico on the people of texas near the frontier continue though the main object of these incursions is robbery they frequently result in the murder of unarmed and peaceably disposed persons, and in some instances even the United States post offices and mail communications have been attacked. Renewed remonstrances upon this subject have been addressed to the Mexican government, but without much apparent effect. The military force of this government, disposable for service in that quarter, is quite inadequate to effectually guard the line even at those points where the incursions are usually made an experiment of an armed vessel on the rio grande for that purpose is on trial and it is hoped that if not thwarted by the shallowness of the river and other natural obstacles it may materially contribute to the protection of the herdsmen of texas the proceedings of the joint commission under the convention between the united states and mexico of the fourth of july eighteen sixty eight on the subject of claims will soon be brought to a close the result of these proceedings will then be communicated to congress i am happy to announce that the government of venezuela has upon further consideration practically abandoned its objection to pay to the United States that share of its revenue which some years since it allotted toward the extinguishment of the claims of foreigners generally. In thus reconsidering its determination, that government has shown a just sense of self-respect, which cannot fail to reflect credit upon it in the eyes of all disinterested persons elsewhere. It is to be regretted, however, that its payments on account of claims of citizens of the united states are still so meagre in amount and that the stipulations of the treaty in regard to the sums to be paid and the periods when those payments were to take place should have been so signally disregarded since my last annual message the exchange has been made of the ratification of a treaty of commerce and navigation with belgium and of conventions with the mexican republic for the further extension of the joint commission respecting claims with the hawaiian islands for commercial reciprocity and with the ottoman empire for extradition all of which have been duly proclaimed the court of commissioners of alabama claims has prosecuted its important duties very assiduously and very satisfactorily it convened and was organized on the twenty-second day of july eighteen seventy four and by the terms of the act under which it was created was to exist for one year from that date the act provided however that should it be found impracticable to complete the work of the court before the expiration of the year 
the president might by proclamation extend the time of its duration to a period not more than six months beyond the expiration of the one year having received satisfactory evidence that it would be impracticable to complete the work within the time originally fixed i issued a proclamation a copy of which is presented herewith extending the time of duration of the court for a period of six months from and after the twenty-second day of july last a report made through the clerk of the court communicated herewith shows the condition of the calendar on the first of november last and the large amount of work which has been accomplished one thousand three hundred and eighty-two claims have been presented of which six hundred and eighty-two have been disposed of at the date of the report i am informed that a hundred and seventy cases were decided during the month of november arguments are being made and decisions given in the remaining cases with all the dispatch consistent with the proper consideration of the questions submitted many of these claims are in behalf of mariners or depend on the evidence of mariners whose absence has delayed the taking or the return of the necessary evidence it is represented to me that it will be impracticable for the court to finally dispose of all the cases before it within the present limit of its duration justice to the parties claimant who have been at large expense in preparing their claims and obtaining the evidence in their support suggest a short extension to enable the court to dispose of all the claims which have been presented i recommend the legislation which may be deemed proper to enable the court to complete the work before it i recommend that some suitable provision be made by the creation of a special court or by conferring the necessary jurisdiction upon some appropriate tribunal for the consideration and determination of the claims of aliens against the government of the united states which have arisen within some reasonable limitation of time or which may hereafter arise excluding all claims barred by treaty provisions or otherwise it has been found impossible to give proper consideration to these claims by the executive department of the government such a tribunal would afford an opportunity to aliens other than british subjects to present their claims on account of acts committed against their persons or property during the rebellion as also to those subjects of great britain whose claims having arisen subsequent to the ninth day of april eighteen sixty five could not be presented to the late commission organized pursuant to the provisions of the treaty of washington the electric telegraph has become an essential and indispensable agent in the transmission of business and social messages its operation on land and within the limit of particular states is necessarily under the control of the jurisdiction within which it operates the lines on the high seas however are not subject to the particular control of any one government in 1869 a concession was granted by the french government to a company which proposed to lay a cable from the shores of france to the united states at that time there was a telegraphic connection between the united states and the continent of europe through the possessions of great britain at either end of the line under the control of an association which had at large outlay of capital and at great risk demonstrated the practicability of maintaining such means of communication the cost of correspondence by this agency was great possibly not too large at the time for a proper remuneration for so hazardous and so costly an enterprise it was however a heavy charge upon a means of communication which the progress in the social and commercial intercourse of the world found to be a necessity and the obtaining of this french concession showed that other capital than the already invested was ready to enter into competition 
with assurance of adequate return for their outlay, impressed with the conviction that the interests, not only of the people of the United States, but of the world at large, demanded or would demand the multiplication of such means of communication between separated continents, I was desirous that the proposed connection should be made, but certain provisions of this concession were deemed by me to be objectionable, particularly one which gave for a long term of years the exclusive right of telegraphic communication by submarine cable between the shores of France and the United States. I could not concede that any power should claim the right to land a cable on the shores of the United States and at the same time deny to the United States or to its citizens or grantees an equal right to land a cable on its shores. The right to control the conditions for the laying of the cable within the jurisdictional waters of the United States to connect our shores with those of any foreign state pertains exclusively to the government of the United States under such limitations and conditions as Congress may impose. In the absence of legislation by Congress, I was unwilling, on the one hand, to yield to a foreign state the right to say that its grantees might land on our shores while it denied a similar right to our people to land on its shores, and on the other hand, I was reluctant to deny to the great interests of the world and of civilization the facilities of such communications as were proposed. I therefore withheld any resistance to the landing of the cable, on condition that the offensive monopoly feature of the concession be abandoned, and that the right of any cable which may be established by authority of this government to land upon French territory and to connect with French land lines and enjoy all the necessary facilities or privileges incident to the use thereof upon as favorable terms as any other company be conceded. As the result thereof, the company in question renounced the exclusive privilege and the representative of France was informed that, understanding this relinquishment to be construed as granting the entire reciprocity and equal facilities which had been demanded, the opposition to the landing of the cable was withdrawn. The cable under this French concession was landed in the month of July 1869 and has been an efficient and valuable agent of communication between this country and the other continent. It soon passed under the control, however, of those who had the management of the cable connecting Great Britain with this continent, and thus whatever benefit to the public might have ensued from competition between the two lines was lost leaving only the greater facilities of an additional line and the additional security in case of accident to one of them. But these increased facilities and this additional security, together with the control of the combined capital of the two companies, gave also greater power to prevent the future construction of other lines and to limit the control of telegraphic communication between the two continents to those possessing the lines already laid. Within a few months past, a cable has been laid, known as the United States Direct Cable Company, connecting the United States directly with Great Britain. As soon as this cable was reported to be laid and in working order, the rates of then existing consolidated companies were greatly reduced. Soon, however, a break was announced in this new cable, and immediately the rates of the other line, which had been reduced, were again raised. The cable being now repaired, the rates appear not to be reduced by either line from those formerly charged by the consolidated companies. There is reason to believe that large amounts of capital, both at home and abroad, are ready to seek profitable investment in the advancement of this useful and most civilizing means of intercourse and correspondence. They await, however, 
the assurance of the means and conditions on which they may safely be made tributary to the general good. As these cable telegraph lines connect separate states, there are questions as to their organization and control which probably can be best, if not solely settled, by conventions between the respective states. In the absence, however, of international conventions on the subject, municipal legislation may secure many points which appear to me important, if not indispensable, for the protection of the public against the extortions which may result from a monopoly of the right of operating cable telegrams or from a combination between several lines. 1. No line should be allowed to land on the shores of the United States under the concession from another power which does not admit the right of any other line or lines formed in the United States to land and freely connect with and operate through its land lines. 2. No line should be allowed to land on the shores of the United States which is not, by treaty stipulation, with the government from whose shores it proceeds, or by prohibition in its charter, or otherwise to the satisfaction of this government, prohibited from consolidating or amalgamating any other cable telegraph line, or combining therewith for the purpose of regulating and maintaining the cost of telegraphing. 3. All lines should be bound to give precedence in the transmission of the official messages of the government's of the two countries between which it may be laid. 4. A power should be reserved to the two governments, either conjointly or to each, as regards the messages dispatched from its shores to fix a limit to the charges to be demanded for the transmission of messages. I present this subject to the earnest consideration of Congress. In the meantime, and unless Congress otherwise direct, I shall not oppose the landing of any telegraphic cable which complies with and assents to the points above enumerated, but will feel it my duty to prevent the landing of any which does not conform to the first and second points as stated, and which will not stipulate to concede to this government the precedence in the transmission of its official messages and will not enter into a satisfactory arrangement with regard to its charges. End of Part 1 End of Section 10